Heavenly Father, we thank you for Neil. He represents our Gideons and their wives and the auxiliary here in our church. We thank you for their ministry. We thank you for their work. We pray that you would help them today. We thank you for the countless millions who will be in heaven because one day someone gave them the gospel of John. They gave them a New Testament. They read the words of life and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. We thank you for their tireless, quiet, humble way of doing their work. And we pray a blessing upon them. We do pray that you'd send out laborers to the harvest and that they would be useful for your purposes. Bless the work of the Gideons this year. Help us as a church that we might support them as we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the Gideons will be at the doors if you want to give them any amount of gift this morning as you go out. We do this every year and we invite you to do that. If you have your Bibles, find your place in Proverbs chapter number 5. We continue to talk about, as for me and my house, and what are the principles that God has given to us in His Word that help us as we care for our children's souls. I've called your attention to Proverbs chapter 1 through Proverbs chapter 9. If you're just with us for the first time, perhaps, if you're a guest, and God bless you for all of you who are watching us on uh, the internet, uh, you're not able to be here. We miss you. We love you. We pray for you to be well and to be back with us when you can. So we've been talking for some time about what it looks like to care for your children's soul. And that includes the, those of you who are parents, your primary responsibility. Uh, can you bring this down just a little bit on the monitors, please, sir, my brother, brother Metcalf? Uh, we're reminded of our responsibility as parents to train up our children in the truths of God's Word and the discipline of the Word of God. And so that focuses our attention on, so what are some of the things we must teach our children? Well, all of God's Word is important and teaching them all of God's Word is critical. The church is here to support parents. Uh, but grandparents and parents, if you care for your children's souls, as I've mentioned to you in the past, and we have these, uh, this outline of what we've been talking about out in the hall, if you'd like to pick it up. Uh, we, we've said that there are 10 life truths that come from Proverbs 1 through uh, chapter 9 that you should spend time talking to your children about all the days of their life. Not just when they're young, but even when they're adult children. These topics ought to come up. Teach your children to fear the Lord. Teach your children to resist the enticements of sin that comes from the world and living in the world. Teach your children to trust in the Lord. Famous words, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Teach your children to treasure the word of God. How precious is God's word. Teach them just like the Gideons remind us today. Oh, the preciousness of the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, all of God's word. When they see you as parents in the word of God, hearing the word of God, reading and studying the word of God, it challenges them also to do the same. Teach your children to treat other people fairly. The Lord Jesus said, treat others the way you want to be treated. That's a lesson for all of us. It's a lesson for all of us as we're here at church. Treat each other the way you want to be treated. At your job, treat others the way you want to be treated. In your family, treat others the way you want to be treated. Children, we are to teach our children to Follow the path that leads to life. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Oh, the sadness 
of following the path that leads to death. It looks like a pleasurable path, but its end is death. Teach your children to guard their hearts, we talked about in Proverbs chapter 4, 23. Watch over your heart. Are you watching your heart today? Do you know what your heart is given to? That includes your mind, your will, what you desire to do, your emotions, your affections. All of those things are involved in your heart. What's the condition of your heart today, my friend? As you come to church, as you're hearing me today, perhaps not with us, what is the condition of your heart? Well, your children's hearts matter. Do you know as a parent the condition of your children's hearts? Well, that's your responsibility as a parent if you care about their soul. Uh, we're to teach our children, and then we come to chapter 5, where we'll be today. Last week, I spoke to you as clearly as I know how about how we're supposed to talk to our children and one another about the danger of adultery, the danger of unfaithfulness in marriage and breaking marriage vows, and the danger of sexual sin. That's only one sexual sin, adultery. We could have talked about others, but in this time, we were talking about this. But it is important to talk to your children about what the Bible says about sexuality and God's design for sexuality and sexual relationships only in marriage between one man and one woman for life. And then we come today to the second half of Proverbs 5, which we'll look at in just a moment where we're to teach our children to celebrate marriage. Next week, we'll finish uh, talking about these things together before we move on to some other things, Lord willing. And I'll talk to you about what we're to teach our children to avoid that God hates. If God hates something, we ought to avoid it. If God hates something, we ought not to do it. If God hates something, we ought to make sure that we've made it clear to our children and grandchildren not to participate in those things. So we'll look at that next week. So Proverbs chapter 5, last week we read these words in chapter 5 verse 3, for the lips of an adulteress, verse 3, drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And we talked about the sadness of sexual sin. Listen, people who act like they're really happy and joyful in sexual sin are really not. The most miserable people in the world are those living in the cords and bonds of sexual sin. They are the saddest of people. They're not the happiest. They're not the gladdest. They're the saddest. When you violate the Word of God and what it says about sexual relationships and you commit sexual relationships outside of marriage, between one man and one woman for life, there is sadness for a lifetime that goes with it. We saw last week the sadness that goes with it. We read at uh, chapter 5, uh, verse number 8, Keep your way far from adultery, don't go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others. That's what happens when you commit sexual sin. You give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. You never, ever get over sexual sin. God forgives, but the consequences last a lifetime. You students who are here, be faithful to God. Wait and remain until you're married to your husband or wife. 
And then you have the joy of understanding sexual relationships. What the movies say, what the books say, what the school says, what people say outside and beyond the Word of God are lies and they will lead you to a place of destruction. So today we look at what God's Word says about the joy, the blessedness, the sweetness, the intimacy, the thing God created before everything else. When He made Adam and Eve, He joined them together in intimate, joyful marriage. The Garden of Eden was the place where marriage began. So we read in Proverbs 5, beginning in verse 15, Drink water from your own cistern, and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in streets? Let them be yours alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, my daughter, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man, the ways of a woman, are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Please read carefully verse 22. It is a warning to us about our sin. His sin, his own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word. May the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now, our, our focal truth today is this, that godly parents enjoy intimate marriages and they teach their children to celebrate marriage. Godly parents enjoy intimate marriages. Enjoyment, intimacy in marriage. You see, many things are caught, not taught. And I would present to you today this matter of your marriage as parents is very important to the bringing up of your children. If you're a grandparent, your marriage and the condition of your marriage today is very important to the, the development of your grandchildren. You see, they see the way we live with one another. Uh, children see what mom and dad do, how they treat each other the way they talk to each other, the way they embrace each other, the, the way they're physical with each other. So this matter of, of catching the truth as well as teaching the truth becomes important. It's very powerful when children see godly marriages. The sad thing is we now are into multiple generations that live uh, many, many, sadly, marriages, about 50% in America, end in divorce. There are lots of reasons for it, the sadness of it, but I'm going to tell you this. Children always feel like it's their fault when something goes wrong with their mom and dad's marriage. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the way these little ones think. That's the way they feel. 
So we now have generations that have grown up who do not understand what it looks like to have godly marriages. So we as the church must step up more today, not less today, as there is such confusion, such silliness and perversion, and definitions are changing as we've talked about, Steve said before, evil's good, good's evil, about what marriage looks like. The church must stand and speak louder, not quieter, about these matters. We must teach our children what a real God-honoring marriage, which is between one man, one woman, for life. It is a covenant commitment that one man makes to one woman for life. Now, we have many in our, in our church that uh, are blessed, and we have a lot of long-enduring uh, marriages. Every marriage uh, that we have in our church, regardless of the age, is, is good, but there are many who've been married for a long time. I, my example, my wife and I have been married for 45 years. Pat and I have been married 45 years. And I'm so excited about it and look forward to the days we have together. There are many who've been married longer than we have. Many of you have been married shorter than I have and Pat. But I would ask you today, how do you describe your marriage today? You know, the way we could really tell the condition of your marriage, are you listening, would be to ask your kids. You know, sometimes kids don't want to go over to the house when they're grown because they're tired of the way their parents treat each other. That's why they're not coming over as much to your house. Because they've seen in your relationship with your husband and wife, in your relationship, things aren't what they ought to be. So Proverbs chapter 5 is beautiful for us because the first 14 verses describe for us the danger of adultery the danger of committing sexual sin outside of marriage, and then the beauty of verses 15 through 23 talk about the intimacy and enjoying an intimate, uh, wonderful marriage relationship with your husband or your wife. Do you enjoy time with your spouse? I asked the early group, might as well ask this group, would you rather go out and be with the cows than be with your wife? Would you rather get on your lawnmower and get away from your husband? Would you rather your husband go in his car and go do what he's got to do and you go in your car and do what you want to do? Do you enjoy being with your husband or your wife? Do you enjoy the time you have together? Your time with your wife or your husband is short. It's shorter today than it's ever been. From the day you said I do, you only have so many days. Your time is valuable and precious with your wife. Do you, do you recognize today that you're teaching your children lessons about marriage every day in the way you relate to your husband or to your wife? And would you consider today that your marriage is strong and intimate? Well, there are three observations that we're going to take time to look at today. And we'll I'll take you through these verses, verses 15 through 23. They answer some of these questions. And I want to challenge us all, including myself and Pat, in our marriages. Number one, when godly parents, and I've chosen my words carefully, please uh, follow along with me and I'll point them out. When godly parents live together, you see marriage is living together. When godly parents live together in exclusive commitment to each other, that means nobody else. That means nobody else. When godly parents live together, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, 
when they're living in Christ-likeness, when they live together in exclusive commitment to each other, they teach their children to celebrate marriage. Number two, when godly parents live together in joyful love for each other or of each other, in joyful love of each other, they teach their children to celebrate marriage. And finally, when godly parents live together in tender intimacy for each other, they teach their children to celebrate marriage. So you have two questions in these verses. You have the first question in verse 16. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, st streams of water in the streets? And then it ends with a question. Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Well, let's get to this first, uh, first of these observations and talk about it for a moment. What a strange way to describe marriage. Drinking water from a cistern. Or drawing water out of a well. Or enjoying the pleasures of a fountain. But this is actually quite a good illustration for us as we think about the nature of godly marriage. You see, there's nothing more precious than water. There's nothing of the, it's what keeps us alive. Drinking water. Water is of the essence. It is that which we must have to stay alive. Water is a great way to describe and the drinking of water and the collecting of water reminds us of the joy, the life-giving power of a marriage that honors God. You see, when we think about this, notice the pronouns. They're all personal pronouns. Boys and girls, you're learning in school. Look at your pronouns. Drink water from your own cistern, verse 15, and fresh water from your own well, 16. Should your springs be dispersed, streams of water in the street, and let them be, 17, yours alone, and not for strangers with you. Well, we're talking here about a cistern. Cisterns collect water. So in a real way, we have some descriptions here of what's happening in our marriages. Marriage is like water being collected in a cistern. Marriage is like drinking that collected water. You see, all of your life experiences come with your husband or your wife. The sad thing about the breaking of a, of a marriage and divorce is that those life experiences, for one reason or another, <clears throat> are broken. And the sadness is that a husband and a wife who once enjoyed wonderful life experiences together, they are broken. But oh, the joy, the joy of a marriage where you, where you drink the water from your own cistern. You see, my obligation isn't to drink water, to have life, to enjoy life with another woman besides my wife. My obligation, my responsibility is to drink water from my own cistern, to enjoy the, and to relish the pleasures and the life experiences that Pat and I have had together. It's true for every couple in this room here together. It is like drawing water from your own well. It is, it is that which is, is, is encouraging. A well's deep and, it, and it's there for you to draw water when you need it. And marriage is like drawing life from each other. 
in our marriage. Sometimes one is up, sometimes another is down. You draw life from each other in your marriage like drawing water from a well. Marriage is like a refreshing stream of water. It just continues to flow. It's like these it's like a natural spring, boys and girls. We have them all over Dixon County. We have these natural springs that just flow and feed the wells and feed the fountains. And, and along with collecting water from the rain that comes, we have this underground source of water that springs up and it brings refreshment to life. You see, marriage is like refreshing streams of water. They flow together. That's the beauty of it. You see, God designed this to be between one man and one woman for life. That's why He says, your own cistern, your own well, your own fountains. <clears throat> Notice He says about the stranger. He says, let it not be for strangers with you. You see, there is no, there is no design in the Word of God that allows any other person to join in a marriage relationship between a husband and wife. It is exclusive to that man and that woman for all of life. When you say, I do, you say it for life. The Lord Jesus was being badgered by the Pharisees about divorce, to talk about divorce. And the Lord Jesus reminded them that it is never God's design for divorce. Yes, sometimes it occurs when there's unfaithfulness with one person or the other in a marriage, in sexual unfaithfulness. But the reality is that it is God's design for a man and a woman to be married for life, to start out young and to grow old together. I quote it to you. Maybe in your wedding, the preacher quoted it. A man shall leave his father and mother, Genesis 2.24. This is, this, is, this is the word of God given in the garden of God. In the garden of God, God gave these words and pronounced blessing on the first marriage, Adam and Eve. A man shall leave his father and mother. That also means a woman leaves father and mother. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sexual relationships between the two. And they are for life. The implication is that you cleave to your wife, your husband, for life. You hold on because in the world, there are things that can pull you apart. You hold on to one another because sickness and trouble and trials can come and take you away. You hold on because someone in the marriage can get focused on the wrong thing and draw you apart. You hold on. You cleave to your husband or your wife. So there is exclusive commitment in a marriage. And we must demonstrate that in our relationships. Look. Less and less people will live in this world by the design, God's design for marriage. So those of you who know Jesus Christ, celebrate it. Live in the joy of your marriage and the exclusive commitment you have made to your husband or wife. Demonstrate it to a world that knows nothing about exclusive commitment in relationships. This will glorify God. Secondly, when godly parents live together in joyful love of each other, they teach their children some special things. You see, we learned earlier last week that the danger of adultery starts with listening to lying, deceitful words, where people would say to us things that only 
should be said, intimate things that only should be said between a husband and a wife. You see, there is, there is this matter of sexual talk that is permitted and there's sexual talk that's not permitted. That means whether it's on your text, that means whether it's sharing pictures, that means whether it's on your email or you're doing it in person. <clears throat> there is sexual talk that is off bounds, out of bounds. There is sexual talk that should take place and ought to be encouraged to take place between a husband and a wife. You want to grow in your relationship with one another? Well, you must learn to do what we read here in verse number 18. Let your fountain be blessed. This is talking about your marriage. Your marriage is like a fountain. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Or you could turn it, rejoice in the husband of your youth. Now, I wear my wedding ring. I wear my wedding ring. It's the first thing I put on when I get up in the morning. I take it off at night because I'm old and my fingers swell. But I put it back on every morning and I take it off at night. And I'm proud to wear my wedding ring wherever I go. Wherever I'm at, whomever I'm with, I'm never going to hide the fact that I'm married. You see, this is what most of us, most of us in our weddings, we exchanged our vow of commitment to one another in our marriage and we committed it with a wedding ring. Wearing your wedding ring demonstrates that you belong to someone alone. You are committed to one person for all of your life. We learn this because there's joyful love in our relationships with each other. And marriage is a blessing like a fountain of water. Now, I'm going to do something for just a moment. I wish I had time to do it. And perhaps in the days ahead, I come back to this. But I want to take you now. And I want you to turn there. Keep your finger right here in Proverbs 5. But I want you to go to the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Here it is, boys and girls, in your Bible, you're in Proverbs. The next book is Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. And the, la this, the last book he wrote that's recorded uh, in the Bible is the Song of Solomon. And I want you to go to chapter 4. In the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, we have here, uh, uh, we have here the story of how a husband and a wife talk to each other. Listen to me as you're turning to Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 4. What we have in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon is the language, the kind of talking, the kind of relationship that is exclusive to one man and one woman being united together. It is an exclusive uh, commitment of marriage and it is a picture of of this beautiful one relationship, one fleshment that a husband and wife have together. It means there's certain ways we, there are certain things we do only with our husband and our wife. They're sexual. It means there are certain things we say. Now, this is important. <clears throat> you see, your marriage starts and the strength of your marriage starts by what you say to each other. This is what I said earlier. When your children listen to you talk, husbands and wives, to each other, what do they think? What do they hear? What are you modeling for them? I would say this to you and I'll repeat it later. I would encourage every young couple in our church, wouldn't hurt all the couples in our church, to get a modern paraphrase of the Song of Solomon 
and read it together. That's right. Read the Song of Solomon. It will help you learn how to talk with one another, how to love each other. You see, if, if I may say it, this is the kind of sexual talk, intimacy talk that comes between a husband and wife because they joyfully love each other. Let me just point out some things. You see, in Song of Songs, uh, you can read this with me. It's alternately called Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. I tend to call it the Song of Songs. It's the Song of Songs because there's nothing in this world more precious except our relationship with Jesus Christ than your marriage to your husband or your wife. Now notice how this, this husband speaks to his wife. You can just follow along. <clears throat> it's poetic, by the way. He's using things from nature to describe the beauty of his wife. You are beautiful, my darling. Verse 1, beautiful beyond words. You see, he speaks about the beauty of his wife. He speaks about her eyes in verse 1. He speaks about her hair. He speaks about her teeth. He speaks about her smile. He speaks about her lips in verse 3, her cheeks. Verse 4, your neck. He talks about her neck. Your breasts, verse 5. He goes down in verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. Verse 9, you capture my heart, my treasure, my bride. <clears throat> you hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love <clears throat> delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant <clears throat> than spices. He goes on and says... In verse 12, you are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. He talks about her body, your thighs. He talks about her thighs. And then in verse 15, you are a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. What am I saying to you today? I'm saying to you today, men, that the way you talk to your wife matters. I'm saying the way, and what you observe about your wife matters. No matter how old she is, one time a fellow said to me, well, my wife's not what she used to be. And I said, well, neither are you. I mean, have you thought about that lately? You're kind of pitiful too. <laughs> he loves his wife enough to say your eyes, your hair, your teeth, your smile, your lips, your cheeks. He speaks about her body parts. You see, this is the sexual talk of Husbands and wives and wives and husbands. Not for other people. Not for other people. Not for the internet. Not for you to share with someone else outside of your relationship. Look, when you're talking about these things with others outside your relationship, when you're commenting to them, men or women, about the way they look rather than to your husband or wife, it's a dangerous thing. Be careful of what you say to others. And I remind you again, no matter how close you are in a relationship with those who are outside of your marriage, they are, they are to be treated as strangers and foreigners and aliens to you. They are off bounds. They are out of limits. They do not, they are not a part of your marriage relationship and your covenant to your husband or your wife. And you made it before God a commitment and you did it before witnesses and people saw you. And you see when godly parents live together, when you talk like this. And in fact, let me read 
Ecclesiastes 9.9, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which God has given you under the sun. This is your reward and your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Enjoy life with your husband or your wife in the fleeting days God's given you. It seems like for some of you, you may feel like Pat and I feel. It just was yesterday we stood in Meeker, Oklahoma and said, I do. Where have all the years gone? What's happened? So many things have happened. Would you do anything to break that life experience you have now come to have with another person for someone else? Would you do what is it your children must see in a world of brokenness when the vast majority of children grow up <clears throat> going from house to house and divided families and seeing all kinds of models that are not appropriate for what marriage ought to be and learning those things? It ought to be that the church stands up and that we live this way. This is the way you talk with your husband or your wife. And then when godly parents live together in, in tender intimacy for each other, they teach, they teach their children to celebrate marriage. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at how sometimes when we talk about sexual matters that God has uh, created for, uh, for married people in the church, that some people get all worried about it when they watch all kinds of craziness on the television and out in the world. You see the word of God says in verse number 19. This is intimacy. As a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. He goes on. For why should my son you be exhilarated with an adulteress. He uses a Hebrew word here. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Uh, exhilarated. Now, the word actually means to swerve or to, or, or to weave. It's also a word used for intoxication. So maybe I should read it this way. Be drunk always with her love. Be drunk on your wife. Be drunk on your husband. Be like a drunkard. You are under the spell. You are intoxicated by only one person. For all of your life, wherever you go, whomever you associate with, be intoxicated by her love and your love for her. Marriage is the experience of tender love and grace like a loving deer and graceful doe. It is the satisfaction, sexual satisfaction between a husband and a wife is for them and for them alone, not to be shared by others. It is intimacy in your marriage that protects you from adultery. It is intimacy in your marriage that protects you from adultery. Yes, that's right. Because everybody's searching for somebody who will love them. That's why Paul reminds us all this, uh, this afternoon as I finish, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, to the Lord. And he says to the men, Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. You know what? If you don't love your wife, you don't love yourself. If you don't love your husband, you don't love yourself. So what do we need to remember from these things today? Well, number one, nothing strengthens a marriage 
more than absolute commitment to one another. That's almost gone in our day. Lifelong commitment to someone sounds so strange in this odd, wicked, godless world in which we live. Stand up, rise up, be strong in your marriages. Those of you who are faltering in your marriage, find out why. It, it starts by the way you talk to each other. It starts by the patterns and habits of your jobs. It starts by your selfishness. You won't give up and yield to the other person and put them first. God sees and your children see the kind of ways in which you treat each other. That's why this warning comes in verse 21 of chapter 5. The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. God sees what's going on inside your house. God sees what's going on inside your bedroom. God sees what's going on on your device, on your phone, on the internet, on your computer. God sees what's going on when you go to the office. God sees what's going on when you're running with those strangers and giving yourself to those rather than to your husband and wife. Intimacy in marriage strengthens and keeps you away from temptation and adultery. Enjoy your relationship with your husband and life in all the seasons of life. It will be different when you're older than it was when you were younger, but it will be just as precious. That's what the godly learn to do. They learn to celebrate marriage and their children see it. And guess what? They want the same thing. So what do we do with all of this as we go? What are the challenges I leave you with? Well, as couples... Take time to enjoy each other. Look, <clears throat> when was the last time you and your husband or wife went, did something by yourselves? Well, you know, Pastor, we got a lot. I understand all that. I really do. I understand the press of life. But you need time together. You need time together. If we read some more in Song of Solomon, it's an exclusive garden. They have, the husband and wife have their own special garden with their own hidden fountain and their own foods. They go, and when was the last time you said, we're done, we are going, husband and wife, wife and husband, somewhere alone for a while to restore our relationship with each other. Thank God for your husband and wife every day. There is an old prayer the Pharisees used to pray. <clears throat> It's a sad prayer. They used to pray, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile and I'm glad I'm not a woman. Now, what a sad thing to pray. I'm not making that up. Some of you will go home and study that, but you need to go look that up. Some of us in this room, when was the last time you, pr you pray for everything else, but have you prayed for your husband or your wife today? The most intimate, special relationship you have and you neglect to pray for your mate. You neglect to pray for the one who has walked with you through so many things. Talk to your children about marriage, biblical marriage, what the Bible says about marriage, what it says about commitment to a husband and a wife to each other. And as a couple, <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not joking now. I talked with one of our couples one time about, uh, in fact, numerous, I've talked to numerous couples about how to improve their relationship with each other. And I've said, you should study together the Song of Solomon. That's right. 
Some of you men could get this. I can just see it happening tonight. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Boy, if you men say that to your wives, there's no telling what might happen in your relationship. Your neck is as beautiful as a tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Speak to your wife in loving ways. Speak to your husband in loving ways. It's the detail of this man speaking to his wife that matters here. He looked at her from her face all the way across her body. And he said, you have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. Well, when you love somebody, you give them your heart. When we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we give Him our heart. We surrender to Him. We call Him Lord Jesus and we believe in Him. But oh, how sweet and precious it is to see God honoring couples who live in godliness and who have given each other their hearts for life. So we read today, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? No. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. 